In our study of the book of Romans, two weeks ago, we considered the verse that God will have mercy on whom he will have mercy, and he hardens whom he will harden. We spent quite a bit of time in the book of of Exodus with an eight-page handout looking at the manner in which God hardened the heart of Pharaoh. Then in the book of Romans, the next question is, why does God still find fault for who has resisted his will? So why does God hold mankind accountable, having hardened his heart? Then the answer came, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall a thing form say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay to make of the same lump one vessel unto honor and another vessel unto dishonor? So we saw that it is totally inappropriate for mankind to talk back to God. We are in no place uh, ready to take on the Almighty God. He is far superior to us, and not only is he far superior to us, but he has the right to do with us as he so chooses. So those verses are meant to put us in our place, as it were, that we don't have any right to question the goodness or character of God, or certainly to charge him with being unjust or unloving or unkind. Today, we look at a couple of verses that having been put in our place and uh, reminding us that we do not have the right to pass judgment upon God, now that it has our attention, it actually mellows and gives us more insight and reason into God hardening the heart of Pharaoh. Now that we're in a frame of mind to actually listen to what Paul is saying, we're given a much fuller and helpful explanation concerning God's hardening of Pharaoh's heart. So let's just suppose for a moment this morning that God actually knows what he is doing. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt. Let's start with that presupposition, that God knows what he is doing and further, that God has good reason for doing what he does. This is all found in the simple phrase, what if, in verse 22. What if? Let's just suppose this morning. Let's just consider the possibility that God knows what he's doing, and what he's doing is right. So, verse 22 is the key verse. What if... God, desiring to show his wrath and to make his power known, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. So we're going to look at this what-if scenario this morning. And we begin by looking at what if God had good reason for hardening the heart of Pharaoh. What if God had good reason for hardening the heart of Pharaoh? Namely, for God to show his wrath and power. God did what he did in, or, in hardening Pharaoh's heart in order to make his power and wrath much 
more fully known and demonstrable. Look at verse 22. What if God, now here's the key, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power? Earlier, God had said that the very reason that God raised up Pharaoh was in order to make his power known. If you look at verse 17, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I raised you up, that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. The way that God had accomplished making his wrath and power known was by sending the plagues upon the land of Egypt. God had made his wrath known by declaring his wrath, by declaring that he was upset and what he was about to do. And then, man, then God demonstrated his power and wrath by actually bringing the ten plagues upon the land of, G of Egypt. Application this morning, it's very important that we understand and comprehend the wrath of God. The wrath of God. Salvation is primarily deliverance from God's wrath. We really won't understand the ultimate and final need of being saved if we don't understand the wrath of God. <clears throat> the wrath of God is a main theme in the book of Romans. <clears throat> it is popular for people to speak of the God of the Old Testament as being a God of wrath and the God of the New Testament as being a God of love. But there is no dichotomy. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is a God of love in the Old Testament. God is a God of wrath in the New Testament. And the main theme in the book of Romans is actually dealing with the wrath of God. Paul says in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. But salvation from what? Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold or suppress the truth of God in their unrighteousness. The wrath of God is revealed. Romans 2, 5. For the wrath of God, excuse me, Romans 2, 5. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. The scripture says for those that do not come to repentance, they are storing up in their hard and impenitent heart even more wrath. Certainly we're to see Pharaoh as a supreme example of that hard and penitent heart that is storing up ever more increasing wrath. 
Romans 2.8 says, But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey in righteousness, there will be wrath and fury. The only way to escape the wrath of God is by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5.9 Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. And so now we come to Romans 9.22, a passage that is intended to teach us the importance of understanding the wrath of God. Verse 22, what if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make his power known? That is what we are to learn from the book of Exodus and these ten plagues. God is a God of wrath, and God is a God of power. So we need to flee that wrath of God. So how is that going to be accomplished, that God would show forth his wrath and his power? What if God is extremely patient in dealing with those who will ultimately be condemned? Would that make us think any different about God's hardening of people's hearts? Look at verse 22. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, now this, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? Verse 22 teaches us that God has endured with much patience those who are going to be completely and ultimately condemned. Note how they're described in verse 22. Vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. These are people who are headed for ruin, judgment, destruction. Pharaoh and those like him will come to a complete destruction. They will be judged in the life to come, and they will come to complete ruin. They are said to be prepared for judgment. Now this word for prepared is an interesting word. This is not the same as to be foreordained or predestined to judgment. It's a different word. This word means to bring to completion. Thus, their judgment is going to be full. It will come to a completion. They are in a process of being judged, if you will. Nor is it like those upon whom God is going to bring to glory and salvation. If you look at verse 23, in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy which he has prepared beforehand. We have a different word for prepared in verse 23 than we do in verse 22. And we have a different element in verse 23 than we do in verse 22. In verse 23, we have this, this statement of beforehand. So God, beforehand, has prepared elected 
made ready a people for glory and for salvation. We refer to them as the elect. Then there are the reprobate. That is everybody else, those that are other than the elect. They are fitted, it says, for destruction. Their destruction is, is coming. Their destruction is, is unfolding. But it is not in a symmetrical way. God does not work in the same way to bring people to ruin that he does to bring people to salvation. And we saw that two weeks ago when we looked at the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. And I just commend you uh, that message again to unfold some of those ideas. In this instance, the vessels of wrath in their actions and responses are leading to their ultimate and final destruction. They are on the wrong path in life. They are going to experience God's full and unmitigated wrath. And they are going to ultimately experience the full measure of that wrath. Verse 22, vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. This is speaking of damnation and hell. That is going to be their end. However, the emphasis of verse 22 is God's patience in dealing with them, not immediately destroying those who will ultimately be destroyed. He has a purpose in keeping them around for a while. He has a purpose in not immediately bringing his full wrath against them. God has put up with Pharaoh for a long time. God has put up with a lot from Pharaoh even before God, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> even before God places Pharaoh in power. God established an evil Pharaoh to be a ruler over Egypt for a reason. Going back to verse 17 of chapter 9, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I raised you up. I placed you in power. This evil individual God had placed in power for a reason. Namely, verse 17, that I might show my power in you and that my name might be declared in all the earth. Then the conclusion, so that he has mercy on whom he will have mercy and he will harden whom he will harden. And it's speaking of Pharaoh, the one whom he hardens. But it's important to understand that Pharaoh is sinful even before Pharaoh is placed in power. It's also important to understand that Pharaoh's sinfulness would ultimately advance God's plan. He's using the wickedness of Pharaoh to achieve his ends. He is not placing the wickedness in Pharaoh, but the wickedness of Pharaoh is achieving God's ends. When in power, God was extremely patient with Pharaoh's disobedience. 
God repeatedly demanded Pharaoh let God's people go, but he stubbornly refused. God informed Pharaoh of each plague, what would take place before it took place. The refusals afforded the opportunity to let God's power be displayed. Each refusal just opened up and revealed more and more of God's wrath. But God was patient in not destroying Pharaoh earlier. I invite you now to turn with me to Exodus chapter 9. And, and I'm going to read, work through this passage verse by verse. To highlight some very important things about God's patience and letting his known, his power and his wrath. So Exodus chapter 9. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. Exodus 9, 1. What Pharaoh is to do is clearly revealed. Exodus 9, 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. So there's no question as to what Pharaoh is to do. The warning comes in verses 2 to 3. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. Then there's an explanation in verse 4. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. And the explicit determination in verse 5. And the Lord set a time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. So he knows specifically when it's going to happen. It's going to be the next day. Then there's the performance of it, verse 6. And the next day... The Lord did this thing, just as he said he would. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. Then you have the proof demonstrated. Verse 7. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead, but the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. So here is this demonstration of the power and wrath of God and Pharaoh's heart is hardened and will not let the people of Israel go so that another plague will occur. So that God will further show his wrath and his power. The purpose of God is fulfilled in the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. Jump down to verse 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of Hebrews, Let my people go and serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people. Now notice this. So that 
you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. So you will understand my wrath and my power. Now for this morning's message, verse 15 is key. For it reveals God's patience. Verse 15. For by now, I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. If I wanted to, I could have taken your life. But I didn't. I didn't. I have been patient. But the purpose of the patience is to show God's wrath and power. Six of the ten plagues have already taken place by Romans chapter 9. You had the Nile turning into blood, frogs covering the land, the, the lice that came upon the land, wild uh, uh, animals and flies, pestilence of the livestock, and the boils. Now comes our reference in Romans chapter 9. Look at Exodus 9.16. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. He tells Pharaoh exactly what he is doing. He lets Pharaoh in on it. The reason I placed you in power was declare my name, my wrath, my power. The reason that God is patient in destroying Pharaoh is so that those individuals that God is going to save will see a full demonstration of God's power. The plagues continually get worse and worse. And the reality of judgment comes strikingly home. You don't want to mess with this God. He is all-powerful. And he is willing to exercise his wrath. It's important as we read the book of Exodus that we understand the truthfulness of biblical history. There is a phenomenon of our day that's referred to as redactionism. Redactionism. Redactionism is basically the rewriting of history. It's teaching history in an inaccurate way. Oftentimes, um, even denying certain historical realities. For example, you may have read in the newspaper concerning a, uh, an official in, in a school district in Florida that denied the Holocaust. 
that said that the, the Holocaust never took place. That's redactionism. That's saying that event never happened. But in, of course, in actuality, it did. That's an extreme form of redactionism. There is a, an extreme form of redactionism that's taking place even within Christianity. And that is to say that these plagues never took place. This just never happened. Well, they did happen. And they are a historical fact. There is another lesser form of redactionism. And that is to read something back into history that was never there. Uh, to make history make a point that isn't based on historical fact or reality. The New Testament is not reading something back into the Old Testament that wasn't there. This is not made up stuff to explain the doctrine of election. But rather, this is based on historical fact and it's contemporary to Pharaoh. We're having quoted before us what God had said to Pharaoh through Moses. And that is, this is the purpose I raised you up. This is what I'm doing. I'm showing my wrath and I'm showing my power. Which brings us to the third point. What if God's patience towards those are going to be eventually be destroyed is of great benefit to those who are going to be saved? Romans 9.23. Let's look at verse 22 to give us uh, the context. Romans 9, starting at verse 22. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make his power known, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy which is prepared beforehand for glory. The prepared for glory is referring to being prepared for salvation, being prepared for glorification, as it found early in Romans chapter 8. Uh, those whom he justified, he also glorified. It's talking about those that are going to be saved. And the purpose of these plagues was to bring salvation to all those that would see and understand the wrath and power of God. That they would repent. That they would believe and trust in God who could provide them a deliverance. So, God's patience with Pharaoh was cause of great mercy to the people of God. The vessels of mercy are those being saved. What's important to understand is that God never intended to bring Pharaoh to faith through the plagues. That wasn't their purpose. God was not bringing these plagues upon Egypt in order for Pharaoh to be saved. He was a vessel fitted for destruction. The plagues were not ineffectual. The plagues did not fail, even though Pharaoh never came to faith, for that wasn't the purpose. The purpose of the plagues was not to bring Pharaoh to, to faith. The purpose of the plagues was to bring the vessels of mercy to faith. And those vessels of mercy are divided into two categories. If you look at 
verse 24, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. So we find out, first of all, that the plagues were intended for the salvation of many of the Jewish people. Repeatedly, God said that he would make himself known to his people. Listen to Exodus chapter 6. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into that land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. I gave it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. That is what God was about. Showing his mercy upon the vessels, many of the Jewish people. But it was also for the salvation of the Gentiles. Look at verse 24. Even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. It wasn't just the Jewish people that were delivered. And as you read the Egyptian account, there were many of the Egyptians who placed their faith and trust in God as a result of these plagues. And they actually went up with the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, out of their homeland, and they participated with the nation of Israel. So God's purpose was the deliverance of both Jew and Gentile, and that it would be a means of their salvation. Now we've been going through Romans chapter 9 at a very, very slow pace. And it's easy to lose the sight of the forest for the trees. All of this is unfolding out of a simple concept of Romans 8.28. All things work together for good to those that love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. God is at work bringing about the salvation of his people. God is working everything together for that ultimate aim and purpose and goal. Romans 8.28, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. Moreover, whom he called, them, he also justified, whom he justified, he also glorified. The working together of all things is for the salvation of his people, ultimately. Ultimately. All things, whether good or evil, whether sinful or whether in 
true obedience and subjection to God. How can that be? Pharaoh is the example for us of how even sinful things can work together for good to the accomplishment of salvation of his people. And as we looked at hardening of hearts two weeks ago, we saw that it isn't just Pharaoh's heart that is hardened. There are many people's whose hearts are hardened, including Judas's heart is hardened. And he too is going to accomplish the purpose of God in betraying Jesus and Jesus ultimately going to the cross. The point is for the comfort of God's people to realize that even the evil of this world ultimately serves the plan of an almighty God. We are to learn of God's patience. And as we are so frustrated with evil and wonder why doesn't God do something about all the evil of this world, he will. He will. There is a day of judgment coming. There is a day of wrath in which God will pour out upon his wrath upon a people that never have yielded themselves to himself. There is such a thing as hell. There is such a thing as eternal damnation. For God is not only a God of love, but he also is a God of wrath. And the message is to flee the wrath of God. Because in his love, he sent his son to die on the cross so that our sins can be forgiven and we can enjoy peace with God. So the admonition is trust in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Romans 5.1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But if you don't believe in Jesus, if you don't accept Jesus' atoning work in our behalf, meaning that Jesus bore God's wrath in our place by dying on the cross. And God's wrath was poured out upon him. But if he does not bear our wrath, then we bear our wrath. And the book of Genesis, excuse me, the book of Exodus is there to teach us the reality of that wrath. God will do what he says. And in his mercy and his grace, he has revealed that to us without a shadow of a doubt sending these ten plagues. God will bring wrath. Flee judgment. It also keeps in perspective Romans 8.28 for us when it says, All things work together for good to those that love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. So often we think of that purely in an individualistic way, And we think that means everything works together for my happiness, everything works together for my joy, everything works together for my well-being. Again, it's a tapestry of God at work in his people. And so ultimately, everything works together for good in my salvation and the salvation of others. But as God is revealing himself to the Egyptians... The Israelites are suffering. They're being beaten. They're being denied food. 
They are being treated harshly. And yet God is still working together for their good, for ultimately, it's their salvation. Ultimately, it's the adoption of them as his people. Ultimately, it is the leading of them to the promised land. So as we think about God working together for good in my own life, I can't separate that from what God is doing in the lives of others. And just maybe, God might put me in the hospital in order that somebody might be reached. That the person in the next bed might come to faith. Or that my grandchildren can learn something about the reality of my faith and how precious it is. We are not in isolated bubbles. God is at work collectively in our lives. And so our individual lives fit into this far greater mosaic and timepiece of the word of God. And we can trust him and all that he is doing, knowing that ultimately he is achieving his purpose and his end, overcoming the decisions of both good and evil men. Realizing that God is patient and he's bringing a people to himself. May we rejoice in the salvation that we enjoy and may we never ever doubt the reality of not only God's love but of God's wrath and the reality of judgment, the reality of a hell. Supposedly, Less than half of evangelical Christians believe in a hell. Romans is filled with an explanation of the wrath of God. And unfortunately, we live in a day and age, the emphasis is on just showing kindness to everyone and they're going to come to faith. All you have to do is be a friend to somebody. Well, at some point, People have to learn and understand that there's a judgment. And they need to flee it. And God has made it possible to experience salvation through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for making your wrath and power known. Thank you that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and those that suppress or hold down the truth by means of unrighteousness. Oh Lord, thank you for the mercy that you have shown upon us. Thank you, Lord, for the forgiveness that we've experienced through the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the circumstances and the way in which you have worked in order to bring us to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus. And Lord, we acknowledge that you are sovereign, you are over all things. Uh, we are careful not to pass judgment on what you do, for we are man and you are God. And we are not capable of passing judgment. Uh, you are the one who passes judgment upon us. But Lord, thank you for revealing yourself to us and showing us why you do what you do. Thank you for showing us even your patience and mercy in dealing with Pharaoh and not immediately taking his life, though he was worthy of his life being taken. But you prolong his resistance in order that in your grace you would show your wrath and your power, and as a result, many 
would believe. Many would trust. Many would submit themselves to the authority of God, both Jew and Gentile, and both the Israelites and the Egyptians, and still others. So, Lord, help us to rejoice in a God who is working all things together for good, for it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.